The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to, the, to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For, th- for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves are eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you will emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you so much for the truth. Uh, Help us to hear this truth with open ears, God, and uh, lean this truth into our heart. Help it illuminate what we need. Help it encourage us. Um, We're so joyful that we have this time to um, learn and to grow in our faith and our love for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Victoria. Good morning. All right. Well, we're going to continue in our current series, Who We Are. And if this is your first time, my name is Randall, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, And I'm excited this morning to go through uh, the rest of this series because we've been covering our core values as a church. And uh, the challenge from the beginning has been, if if you can make it, come and listen to all of the different messages that we're going to be talking through. Um, And so there's six in total, and we are number five right now. Uh, We're studying through the book of Galatians, and we are in Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And here's what we've covered so far. The first week we talked about the gospel and what that means in our lives and and really the story of Jesus and how that becomes our story as we receive Jesus into our lives. And then also the the next week was the Spirit. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, And then the next week was family. I just want to say this. I love family time. I love seeing everybody connecting, talking. And one of the things we believe is that God has made us a family because of Jesus. And so we're now brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only that, not only hanging out in the family, but he sent us out on a mission. So that's what we talked about last week. So we talked about uh, Matthew 28, the great commission that God has sent us on, and also in Galatians, uh, talking through what it looks like to be a people that live on mission. And today... Our message is on rhythms. So this is our fifth core value, rhythms. And here's what that means. This is how to practically live on mission for Jesus. And, and, I, and I believe this is probably the one that many of us struggle with. Whether you're a believer today or not a believer at all, you are probably struggling with the idea of rhythms. Um, and we want to try and help with that. And so... My question as we start is this. What's the pace of your life right now? Is your rhythm sustainable for the long haul? See, many people have a great start, 
but they're not able to sustain it. Uh, John Backman addresses the pressure we face in a blog called What's the Rush? Here's what he says. Multitasking is touted as a virtue. The 24-7 schedule has become a standard expectation. Intense competition in business, in college admissions, in employment pushes people to do more and move faster just to keep up. Many of us sense the burden of unreasonable expectations to have successful careers, be perfect parents, keep a smile on our face, save millions to finance a long retirement all at once. Do you feel that pressure? With this type of pressure, let me ask again, is your current pace of life realistic? Is it realistic? Is it the life that God has for you? Because more and more as our country struggles with depression, anxieties, worries, and fears, I've learned a lot about what it looks like to have pace in life. And not just my pace, but a healthy pace, God's pace for my life. And so we see that in today's scripture. You see, the place where I've really learned pace is through running. Now, growing up, I've hated running. Like, I was always fast as a kid, like, you know, pretty athletic, like I could run fast. But when you asked me to run long distances, that was a different story. Did not like running long distances. And last October, I ran a half marathon. And this was a big deal because, again, I don't like running long distances. But what I learned was a lot of the time I couldn't run the distance that I wanted to run was because of my pace. My, face, my, my pace was too fast for the distance that I was trying to run, and so I would always get tired out. I didn't like it. And, um, and one of the things recently I've been doing as I've been continuing just to kind of train and, is to run on the treadmill. And what I found is the treadmill is just a different thing because when you get on the treadmill, there are other people next to you, right? They're like right next to you. And usually what happens is when you're on the treadmill, it's not only you're running, but you're also looking at what's happening next to you. You're feeling pretty good, right? But when somebody's running a little bit faster next to you, you're kind of checking that out. Like, what, what do I need to, do I need to speed my pace up? And uh, I had one of these experiences last week. I, I was on the treadmill over at the YMCA. And as I was running, I, at that point, I had run about three and a half miles and I was doing a pretty steady pace and I was feeling pretty good. But then all of a sudden, this guy got on the, the treadmill mill next to me and uh, he's all geared up. He's got all the running gear. He's got the really cool shoes. He's got all that stuff going on. And so as I'm running, I can see it out of the corner of my eye like, this guy's pretty good. He's, pretty, he's probably pretty fast, you know, so I see him, he starts out, he starts his pace, he starts ticking it up, and, and I'm like, oh man, like he's going pretty fast, right? So he just starts sprinting, and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, Randall, you can't compete with this guy. Okay, you've already run three and a half miles, you just need to focus on what you're doing right here, and what happens is I see him, he's going fast, but then 10 minutes later, he's gone. He gets off the treadmill, He's breathing really hard, and he was running a, a pace that was too quick, right? And, and, and that's usually what happens to us in life. It's like we got all the gear, we look really good, but we can't sustain it. And we start comparing ourselves to other people and their pace instead of running the race that we're called to run. And so we find the Apostle Paul looking at the Galatians saying, okay, 
verse 7, you were running a good race. Who hindered you? Who jumped in and, and hindered you from the race that you were called to run? Because you started running at a different pace than what God has called you to run. See, when we started Grace City a little over a year ago, I believe God led us to this idea. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so when we stood in this auditorium with a handful of people during our preview services before we launched the public services, the, the point I was adamant about making was this. It's not about the first day of Grace City. It's about our last day. Will we run our race faithfully as a church? Right, like we don't want to think about that. I like the last, or I like the first day. We put so much attention on the first day. See, when it comes to marriages, isn't that the thing? It's like we put all of this money, all of this energy into the first day. But what about the last day? Because the last day for me and my wife is I want me to be holding her hand or her holding my hand as I pass on into eternity. That's the type of race I want to run. But yet so many times in the quick Instagram culture, it's all about the short race, the sprint. And we're not equipped to run for the long haul. See, our culture is running at the pace of uh, the hurry-up offense or the no-huddle offense. You hear about that in football? It's, it's basically this. If you're not a sports person or anything, it's this. It's usually in football, you, after every play, you stop, you huddle up, and you just say, okay, what's the play? But our pace right now and the culture of our, our, our right now is not we stop, we huddle up, we say, okay, what's next? But it's the next and the next and the next and the next. We have no time to breathe. No, no time to, to say, okay, what's happening? And reports are showing that burnout is leading. It's the leading reason for men and women to leave ministry more than any other reason. A recent ABC study showed that more than half of U.S. employees feel overworked and overwhelmed. And 70% say they often dream of having a different job. I mean, is that the pace we're running at right now? Looking for a way out? In June of 2016, Stephen D'Souza wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review called, Don't Get Surprised by Burnout. And here's what he says. Therapy, coaching, exercise, or meditation may relieve the symptoms of burnout and help us cope or even thrive in these conditions but they won't necessarily change the conditions themselves. For people who have already tried mindfulness and deep breathing and other exercises and are still struggling with burnout, we might also need to challenge some fundamental assumptions around how much we can really do and develop the capability and permission to not do. We don't have the capacity to do it all. You see, many of us have not backed off enough to say, I can't do it all. I can't run at this pace. I wasn't meant to. See, what, what's, what's the, the reasoning that, that you can back off and say, okay, I, I can't do it all? In a culture that says you have to do it all. Well, as Christians, we trust in one who did it all. And that's why Jesus said in John 19:30, it is finished. It's finished. 
like the deepest longings of everything that you think matters. It's ultimately done. And so will you live in the Jesus rhythm of life where he says, hey, I want to invite you into the finished work that I've already done and you don't have to carry that weight any longer, but you've got to do it all. See, for Christians, burnout is real. And when the Apostle Paul is talking here, he's talking to Christians who are burning themselves out on religion and other things. And I believe that a lot of our burnout today is tied up in some spiritual issues, some deep spiritual issues that I would call gospel fractures. It's believing that God is not enough to take care of us. It's believing that everything in life depends on me. It's believing that my plan is better than God's plan. It's believing that we are invincible. Ultimately, we trust more in our work than we do in Jesus' work. That's the problem. And so Jesus, again, invites us and says, come, experience the gospel. See, it's a life where we are not the center of the universe. God is. And our rhythm as a church, here's what it is. I remember sitting with my friend Amanda one day, and we were just like, this is it. Grace pace. It's the grace pace. What is that? It's not a frenzied life. It is a life filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about God's power, God's wisdom, God's direction. It's the belief that church is not an event that you got to go do. It's, it's a family. It's a family. It's God's family. It's the belief that a life on mission with Jesus is not another program. It's a lifestyle. It encompasses your life. See, it's taking it everywhere and just saying, just be Jesus right where you're at. Why do many people burn out or drop out of the race? It's complex, right? We're all different. We're all unique. But I believe a key element is our personal rhythms. And so the question is, are you living life on your rhythms or God's? And our text this morning is Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And we're going to break this down. But I'm going to give you some background here. Paul is addressing some of the false teachers that are coming in and really disturbing some, some ideas and some thinking that the people had here in Galatia. And through the power of the gospel, he's trying to lift the anxieties off of them. He's trying to lift the fears off of them. He's trying to lift the pressures that are being placed on them by these false teachers. And he's pleading with them. He's saying that the true freedom that you've always been looking for is found in Jesus. Like you knew this, but you've lost it. And I gotta point you back to him because that's where your freedom is. And so today's text, uh, Paul teaches us the rhythms of Jesus. And here's where it starts. It starts with radical freedom, God's presence, and self-forgetfulness. Radical freedom, God's presence, self-forgetfulness. Let's break this down. So Jesus calls us to the rhythms of radical freedom. What does that mean? Let's look at verses one through four. Uh, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Let's look at verse one real quick. So here's what he says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Everything about the gospel of Jesus is freedom. But most people think that Christianity is all about rules, regulations, more heavy burdens and weights placed upon you. I got to do this or I got to do that. But what we find is that under the lordship of Jesus, the gospel doesn't put on more burden, it lifts off the burdens. It says you're free. When you were in Christ, you were free. Why? Because Jesus carried all the heavy burdens. Jesus lived out the law perfectly. Jesus did it all. See, it's not believing in our work, it's believing in the work of Christ that's gonna free you up in life. And and, and so verse one, this is really interesting because it's so packed full with stuff, but it says, has set you, or has set us free. So Christ has set us free. Now what this is, is the aorist tense, which is in the past tense. This is a single past action that has been completed. So what he's saying is, Christ, in Christ, he set us free. And so when you were in Christ, you were set free. You were completely free. When you receive the gospel, you were brought into a radical freedom that says, you don't have to do anything any longer. That's, that's just radical, right? Like, and through the work of Jesus, your salvation is complete. Now, when we're bought into Christ, we think, well, here's all the things I have to do. But Jesus says, no, it's, it's, it's freely given to you. I've given everything to you. Everything that you need has been given. And so we have this radical freedom from sin and condemnation. That's why in Romans chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right, like do you ever walk around with this weight of guilt or feeling like I'm not good enough or any of those things, those pressures, right? He says, there is no more of that in Christ. But here's the reality that you and I, though we are free, don't live like free people. And so what he says is this, that there is a yoke of slavery that is placed on on you. It's believing the wrong things. He says, you're free from sin and condemnation, but right now, you're not free from the yoke of slavery that's been placed on you. There's something that you're believing that's not true. Because here's what it is. It's possible for the prison cell to be unlocked and the door to be opened, but still live like a prisoner. Like you're still sitting in the prison cell and everything's been done. He says, you're a free person. Now just walk out. But many of us are sitting in the prison cell saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it's true. And so this radical freedom is saying, no, Christ has set us free and it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now it's time to walk in it. See, how does this happen? What he says, it's yoke. And what we see through scripture and even through the times of Jesus is that a yoke is a teaching. It's teachings. It's taking on the teachings of someone else and saying, this is what I'm gonna live by. 
And so when Jesus says, take on my yoke, he says it's, it's easy and it's light. But what we do is we take on the teachings of the world. We say these are the ideas of other people. And so it starts to jumble it up for us. And basically what happens is we take on this rhythm from the world, ideas of the world, and basically say, Jesus, you're not enough. You're not enough. I got to go do more because here's what this person says or that person says or any of these pressures that are coming in on me right now. So you can be a Christian and live like you are not in your day-to-day life. It's possible. And what happens is you become a slave to this world, like the ideas, everything of this world. See, at one point, the Galatians, they didn't believe that there were any rules. And so they, they took on the yoke of the world and said, I'm just going to live however I want. And so it's just all about pleasure. But now the, the Galatians under, are under a new temptation. It's not anymore trying to be the people who are just doing whatever they want, but it's, it's actually the other side. Now their temptation is to become moral sticklers. See, many of us who have been, we come into this new life in Christ, it's like first we, we were like all over here where we had no rules. It was, it, we could do whatever we wanted. But then when we were like bought into Christ, we started to believe these other things like, you know, that everybody's got to be like me now. And we start putting that weight on other people and we become these moral sticklers who are thinking that we're better than everybody else. See, that's the temptation that they're being bought into here where they're like, okay, now we gotta do this. And essentially what they're saying is, verse four, they say, he says you're, you fall away from grace. Essentially they're saying, uh, we don't need grace. Yeah, we, get, we, we became Christians, the cross, yeah, all that stuff. Now we're gonna go do it on our own strength. What he's saying is you are missing out on the radical freedom that is only found in Jesus. Um, One commentator on Galatians says this, the Galatians will experience once again the anxiety, guilt, and burden life they knew before as pagans. They will never be sure that they are being good enough. Their lives will be as fear-based and proud and guilt-ridden as they were before. They will fall into the touchiness, insecurity, pride, discouragement, and weariness of people who are, never, who are never sure that they have worth. Do you feel that? Even as Christians, do you feel like you struggle at times where you, you feel like, do I even have worth or value? Christ says differently. And so how does Paul instruct them to stay free? Well, verse one, he says to stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in what? The gospel in Jesus, and knowing that Jesus is enough for you. This is much like uh, Philippians 1.27, which says, you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Together, they must be diligent in reminding each other that our freedom is found in the grace of God, not in what you or I do. Because here's the visual. Many of us right now, it feels like we're doggy paddling, doesn't it? Like we're doggy paddling just to survive, just to keep our head above water. But it's much like that video I saw one time of this little kid who's just doing that, you know, he's doggy paddling. And then his mom says, stand up. And he's crying, screaming, and then he stands up and he's in like a foot of water. <laughs> that, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying it's time to stand up. It's time to stand firm in what you know is true. 
What's true is that Jesus died for you. He loves you. The gospel is true. It's all finished. Ultimately, it is all finished. The world is not resting on your shoulders right now. Even though you feel like it, it's not. Don't live the anxiety-filled life that you feel like you need to perpetuate and keep going in. It's time to stand firm. And here's how you do it. It's, 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 it's this picture, the, the military term is stand firm. It's like, it's like you're linking arms together and you're all doing it together. It's not by yourself, but it is all together, standing firm together, like in the, uh, the, the movie Braveheart, you know, where they're all like together and there's this huge shield that they're forming. They're standing firm. They're in the battle. They're in the war. There are gonna be some ideas that are gonna come in that aren't true, but they're saying, nope, this is the truth. It's Jesus. It's his grace. That's it. We have a radical freedom through the work of Jesus. Second is this. This is how you're going to be able to do this. His presence. It's a rhythm of his presence. Okay, so first it's the rhythm of radical uh, freedom that you have in Christ because of his grace. Second, it's his presence. Um, Look at verses Uh, five through eight says for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love you are running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion is not from him who calls you how do we live a, a life of freedom in Jesus through the spirit by faith Who's the Spirit? The Holy Spirit of God. If you are a believer, you have the Spirit. See, a lot of the times we think, well, I gotta do this on my strength, on my ability. No, it's, it's actually not at all like that. And here's how the Spirit works. He says it's not, it, it's not saying I gotta be better, I gotta do more, but it's laying these things at the foot of Jesus and saying, God, I can't do it. Help me to do it. And what you'll find is that his presence is better than us trying to muscle our way through it. See, what's the Spirit do? The Spirit will lead you to know that you have a race to run. That you have a race to run. But your race is not other people's race. You have a race to run. And so he he says, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. And so that's the question today. It's like, okay, maybe you're struggling right now and all these anxieties are coming in and you're not believing the gospel. My question is, who who hindered you? Who was it? Right, like is, is it like, a coworker, or is it somebody that's a peer or maybe there's something else you think I've got to just, I'm not good enough. Maybe it's just yourself. You keep believing these ideas and these lies in your mind. So it's like who hindered you because you've got to run your race. One of the people that I'm so inspired by is, is my barber. This guy is amazing. He, he told me, he says, you know, I've been, I've been running around. He, he inspires me. He said, I've been running around for two years. He says, when I started, I was 300 pounds. He says, I've lost 75 pounds. And here's the thing. He's like, I didn't start fast. I just did what I could do. And, he, and now he's run multiple full marathons. He did a triathlon, didn't even know how to swim. Said, I'm gonna learn how to swim and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do a triathlon. And, and he says, Rand, you just gotta run your race. 
Your race, your pace. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He comes in and he says, why are you running other people's races when I called you to run yours? Trust me, I'm gonna give you the power and the strength to run your race, not other people's race. And not only that, the Spirit will call you to God when we're believing the lies. Look at this, at the end of the the verse here, in verse eight it says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Here's what happens. We start to listen to other voices instead of God's voice. We start saying, well, that voice is more important than God's voice, and it starts to become louder and louder and louder in our lives, and what happens is we are trapped by man's voice rather than in awe of God's. That's where you're going to be put into a prison cell because man's voice was not meant to lead your life. It wasn't. God's voice is meant to lead your life. In his book, uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small, Ed Welch says this. He says, number one, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. Two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. Three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. These three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is, more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. We need God's presence in our lives. And so that's why the book of Proverbs is like wooing us in saying, fear God. Fear God rather than man. It talks about the, the, the wise person or the person who, who grows spiritually is the person who fears God. Recently I, I've heard uh, Denzel Washington give some amazing speeches and uh, just talking with people and encouraging people around him. He's in one of the, at the beginning of the speech, he says, I'm a God-fearing man. He started out by saying that, and then he spoke and said some things that people didn't want to hear. How, what, how do you get that kind of boldness when you say, God, I'm just here, in, in, and I'm in your presence, and your presence is more powerful than the presence that are around me? We need God's presence to keep us in the freedom that we can only have in Jesus. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom comes in God's presence. Saying, God, I fear you more than anything else. I'm accountable to you more than anything else, and I'm gonna come to you and ask for your help. Help free me, Lord from the bondage that I face on a daily basis, the anxieties that I'm facing now. And then lastly is this self-forgetfulness. It's the rhythm of first, just this radical freedom. Second, the rhythm of his presence, being in his presence, knowing that he is more powerful and better than anything else. And third, it's self-forgetfulness, the rhythm of self-forgetfulness. 
So here's what he says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What is he saying? Okay, so when Jesus frees you, he doesn't free you just to say, I'm free. He frees you so your life isn't about you anymore. It's about him. And your life is filled with him. And it's a self-forgetfulness. It's a transformative self-forgetfulness where it says that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this passage has been misquoted and misused a lot of the times people say well you just got to love yourself before you can love people but here's the truth you and I love ourselves more than anybody whether we're depressed or whatever we do we love ourselves it's not saying you need to love yourself more say you need to love your neighbor as yourself love them as yourself this this is where freedom is Freedom is found in not being about ourselves, not being so filled with ourselves, but being filled with him that we can love other people. Not to get something out of them, but loving people, no strings attached. That's true self-forgetfulness. You see, freedom is dying to ourselves and living to love others. This is the rhythm of the blessed self-forgetfulness that he's brought us into. And so here's, this is important. Self-forgetfulness does not mean self-neglect, okay? Self-forgetfulness does not mean self-neglect. It's like, oh, well, you know, I don't matter anymore, and so I'm just gonna go love, 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 and then be out there and do a bunch of stuff for Jesus. No, that's not what it is. He brought you into a radical grace by his, you know, through the freedom that is in Christ, but this is the thing. It's like he's bought you into it to love people so you're not about yourself. He says, it says in Philippians chapter two to um, love others. He says, he says, do not, ah, goodness. Okay, so trying to think it through here. This is where you gotta be memorizing scripture, right? So, <laughs> But basically, what he's saying is he says, okay, you um, do not look only to your own ambitions, but look also to the ambitions of others, like to the, to the needs of others. So don't only look to yours, but look to others. Right? So you're going to look to your needs and ambitions and things going on in your life, but don't only look to that. Look to the needs of others. That's what he's saying in Philippians chapter 2. That's what Jesus did for us. And so my question is, are you willing to die to yourself? Luke 9.23 says this, die to yourself daily. If you want to follow me, if you want to pick up your cross, you die to yourself daily. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, there must be a real giving up of self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find yourself. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and uh, favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. 
Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Okay, so you, you get, the, it's, it's just the complete opposite of the world. Totally different mindset. Saying, I, it's not about me, I want Christ. And then you, you get the life that he gives you. And so, real quickly, here's some takeaways, okay? How do we live in God's rhythm and his pace? First, it's this. It's living through God's spirit. It's living through God's spirit. How do you do that? You say, well, first, it's receive Jesus. Receive the gospel into your life. Receive Christ. God's spirit comes into your life. And, and here, John chapter three talks about how the spirit works. Um, Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, comes to Jesus at night. He says, basically, how does, how does God work in our lives? And he's talk, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, the Spirit is like the wind. Think about that analogy for a minute. You can't control the wind. You can't catch the wind. You can't manipulate, you know, like, oh, he, yeah. The wind just blows. And it does its thing. And that's how he says the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so for us, I think a great way to, to say, well, how, how do we, how does the Spirit work in our lives? It's like a sailing analogy, right? My, my grandmother uh, back in Hawaii got me signed up for sailing lessons. And one of the things I knew was that we weren't sailing anywhere if there was no wind, there's no wind, right? So we can like do some things, like we can get set up in the boat, we can, you know, put the mast down, all that stuff, but we can't get anywhere if there's no wind. And so here's how you put up the sails for God to work in your life. Desperate prayer. It's through prayer. It's a brokenness and neediness for God. Saying, God, I can't do this. It's reading the word. It's coming to the word and maybe it's starting with this, like, God, I've never read the word in my life. I don't know where to start. Teach me. Teach me to read your word, God. I wanna, I wanna learn how, how, to, how to read the Bible. It's saying, Jesus, I don't want this life to be about me anymore. I want it to be about you. I want it to be for your glory. See, what happens is when, when you come like that, right, the, the sails start to be lifted. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a power of the Spirit just blowing through and moving you and directing you and empowering you to do things that you couldn't have done and to be a person that you could have never been. Because as we look at Romans chapter 8 and all these other places, like it's the Holy Spirit of God that kills sin in our lives. It's not you. Like, you know, a lot of the times it's like, oh man, I gotta go defeat this sin in my life. I'm sorry, that's God. God does it. And it's us surrendering, saying, God, I can't do this. I can't kill this sin in my life. It keeps coming back again and again. God, I need you. Please help me. What you're gonna see is progress, progress that you couldn't have made on your own strength. And it takes time. But you keep moving forward on his power. And so, First, it's living on the power of the Spirit, saying, Spirit, I need you to do this. 
And would you start the day by just saying this, Lord, here's my plans for the day. Take them. They're yours. They're yours. Whatever happens today, I'm okay with it. Whatever happens today, I'm okay with it. I'm gonna accomplish what you want me to accomplish today. Can we come to God with that type of faith? Because it says that it's the spirit by faith. Trusting that you're gonna be able to accomplish what you need to in that day. That's a different rhythm, right? That's, that's the rhythm that actually says I can get some sleep at night. Uh, the next one is this. It's trusting God's design and God's way. First, God's design. God has made you body, soul, and spirit. This is holistic. And first, you think about that. We, we say, well, it's just the spiritual, right? No, it's the physical too. And so I gotta ask you these questions for your physical life. Are you eating healthy? Are you exercising? Are you drinking enough water? What would it look like to build this type of rhythm in our lives? By just going on a hike, walking to the store, riding our bike, getting out in the sunshine. You say, well, that's not spiritual. Yeah, it is. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27 says, so I do not run aimlessly. I, I do not box at uh, as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself could be disqualified. What's he talking about? Is he saying that he's going to get his salvation taken? No. What he's saying is that there will be people who look at his life and say, man, I don't know if I can trust you because of the life that you live. Doesn't match up. You're just really undisciplined and yeah, I don't know if I believe that that Jesus is very powerful in your life. So that, that disqualifies us from being able to share the gospel. Right, so it's like, okay, Lord, like, can you bring under your authority these places in my life? Like personally for me, I, I've had to realize this, that, that I have to change the way that I eat, my eating habits. My wife has always eat, eaten healthy. I, I haven't. It just wasn't something I do, you know? I'm like, yeah, whatever. And uh, <laughs> things have changed for me. I'm like, teach me. I want to learn. God puts you in my life. I want to learn. I want to grow. My, cha- my eating has changed. Exercise. The biggest one is just drinking more water. Do you know that if you don't drink enough water, like your, your brain can like bring on depressive thoughts? It, it, it's, it's proven. It's studies, like different things like that. And, and so are you? Like, these are just legitimate questions, right? Like, within the rhythms of our life right now, are we in this place? What about our inner life? Some of us have a crushed spirit. Like, we're living in in rhythms with a crushed spirit because of tragedy, heartbreak, injustice, abuse. This stuff is complex. It's super complex. Like, Proverbs 18, 14 says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear Some of us are like walking through life trying to act like everything's okay with a crushed spirit and it doesn't work. Here's the thing. We are not reductionistic in this area of our church. Like we believe this is holistic and and so we want to equip you. We want to help you. Like there's a care team that's going to be here in just a few minutes. We would love to talk with you about anything that you're going through in life.
And so if you're struggling in any of these areas, like please talk with us. We want to be here to, to help you so that you can run, run the race that God's calling you to run. The, the next one is God's way. Like th- this is Sabbath rest. The world does not understand this. The world does not understand rest. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. Eugene Peterson. Are you distancing yourself enough from your activities to see what God's doing? That's what Sabbath is. We need Sabbath rest. Studies show that abandoning sleep is the number one destroyer of effectiveness. Lack of sleep takes out our adrenal glands. Our creativity is shot. Here's what studies say. They say that you need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And really they say that you should be around eight to 11. Say, well, I don't, I don't have that kind of time to be sleeping. Not getting stuff done. We need God's help with this big time. We need to be reminded each week that we are not God. And he does that through us sleeping at night. And he humbles us. Says, you're not 24-7. And also, when we say one day a week, I'm gonna set this aside and just worship the Lord. And say, I'm just gonna rest from some of these progress things that I know need to be done, but I just trust him. And we're mad at Chick-fil-A for that, right? <laughs> like, I'm showing up again in their clothes? Come on, now. <laughs> but we love Chick-fil-A. Like, you know, it's, it's just a good thing. People love working there. That's why. Can we celebrate the work that Jesus has done by, by resting in him? Rest in him. Next, it's living intentionally, not adding more. Here, here's real, the, 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 the short of it. This is gospel intentionality wherever you go. Jim Elliott, a missionary to Ecuador, once said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt in every situation you believe to be the will of God. Wherever he's placed you. Here's the thing, the church... The church has done a disservice to people. And what we've done is we try to take people out of their normal life, their normal rhythms, and say, you gotta go do church stuff now. You gotta go be in the church and do a bunch of church. And there's a lot of church people hanging out in the church, not doing anything out in the world and not being a witness for Jesus. It's time to stop hanging out in the church and to go out and love people out in the world. The rhythms that you are in right now, God has placed you there and those places are sacred because his presence is there with you. Your work matters, whatever you're doing. And here's the thing, our church is not here to bog you down with more church stuff. We're here to equip you to be Jesus right where he's placed you. That's the rhythm we're calling you to. We wanna equip you well and we wanna send you out to go be Jesus out to the world. Here's the last one. It's trusting Jesus, not trying harder. The gospel gives you permission to say no. Some of us need to say no to protect our families, our marriages, our personal lives. We make idols out of things like work, progress, doing more. And it takes over our lives. So let me ask you a few questions. Number one, can you turn off your phone? Can you turn off your phone? Well, no, I'm just way too important. People are, you know, they're, 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 no. 
can you turn off your phone? If I were to ask your closest friends, uh, significant other spouse, kids about your rhythms in life, what would they say? They're the most honest, aren't they? I would challenge you, ask them this week, okay, what are my rhythms right now? What does that look like? And do you ultimately trust Jesus with the results of your life? See, I have this thing in the back of my head that keeps going, I'm not doing enough. But because of the gospel, I can lay down my head at night and trust Jesus with the results. That's it. That's the only, the only way that I've been able to keep sane, personally. And so Matthew 11, 28 through 30, this is the message version, but this is what I want to end with. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the life and the rhythm that Jesus is calling us to. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've done it all, that we don't have to do it all, but you've done it all for us. And we pray that the cross is enough for us, the gospel is enough for us today. And Lord, if that's not how we're living, I pray that you call us to that, that better place, that place with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.